Hey, welcome to the New Home Insights Podcast by John Burns Real Estate Consulting. I'm Dean Worley, your host. Each episode, we're gonna bring you some of the best minds in the housing business talking about some fascinating topics or trend or innovation or issue, just like the one you're about to listen to. Enjoy. Hi, this is Dean Worthy for the New Home Insights Podcast by John Burns Real Estate Consulting. We recently released our list of the top 50 best-selling master plans for 2020. These were a reflection of the roller coaster ride that was the housing industry in 2020 with record-breaking sales and remarkable growth year over year. This meant though that our top 50 list was pretty tough to crack. So we decided to take a look under the hood of some of these success stories. We talked to six of the folks behind about 15 or so of the top 50 master plans to get their insights on what drove the success and what trends they picked up on. Even though we tried to keep each segment as brief as we could, there were so many insights from our participants that we're going to do this in two parts. So we'll cover Daybreak in Salt Lake City and several communities each from Brookfield communities and Newland communities in this episode. Next week for part two, we'll look at Lakewood Ranch in Florida, River Islands in Northern California, and then Johnson Development in Texas. First up is Cameron Jackson from Daybreak in Salt Lake City, Utah. As a 4,000 plus acre community that dominates the regional new home landscape. Cameron is the Senior Director of Marketing for Daybreak. He's been doing this thing for almost 20 years and is comfortable with nuances of marketing new homes as well as using data-driven approaches to understanding consumer behavior. Now we have Cameron Jackson, the top dog, whether he likes it or not, also the Director <laughs> of Marketing at the Daybreak Master Plan in Salt Lake City. Utah area. Cameron, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Good to be here. Good that you're here. So Daybreak just barely snuck into our top 50 best-selling master plans for 2020 with 1,055 sales, good for the sixth place. So just just eked in. Just, just, with just a, barely. Skin of our teeth. <laughs> with a 40%, by the way, year-over-year growth level. So pretty remarkable. Yeah, it was a great year. What has been the best, the biggest driver for your sales at Daybreak here this this last year plus? You know, what's interesting for us is it, it's difficult. I, I've been asked that question a lot, and it's difficult to just you know put my finger on any one thing. I think for us, it was really the fact that we just have a really broad variety of, of choices in the community. So. Within Daybreak, we have we actually have Daybreak is really five communities in one. We have you know different neighborhoods for families, for move up buyers, for first time buyers, active adults. Uh, we've got a luxury neighborhood on an island in the middle of a lake, and so that that range of product offering is really what I think has has really driven our success over the last couple of years, really, and especially in 2020. Do you guys take pains to make sure that you're properly segmented just consistently? You have breadth of product and is that something you're always uh, concerned with? Absolutely. Yeah. We, I mean, we analyze that very, very closely and we work closely with our builders to, you know, make sure that everybody's kind of staying in their lane and, and that really, you know, gives us that, that breadth and allows all of our builders to get the, you know, the sales volumes that they're looking for. Um, and it, and it just creates a lot of choices for the consumer. You're not, and you're not, Daybreak's not really a core location, kind of, you know, it's a little bit out there. 
it's unusual, isn't it, to have that kind of breadth of product given that kind of location? Yeah, I mean, in a you know, in a big market, you know, in a Houston or some of the Florida markets, you know, that are huge, you know, something like that, um, where you have really big master plans, um, we've kind of you know learned from a lot of that and brought that here to the Salt Lake market, and there really isn't anything like what we're doing in the Salt Lake market, and so you know, to get to a thousand homes, over a thousand homes in 2020 in such a small market uh, that Salt Lake is, you know, compared to a Houston or uh, an Orlando, a Tampa, you know, something like that, I, I think is pretty remarkable. I think so too. That might also be a little bit of a secret of the appeal of Master Plan in that they are more able to bring product breadth to relatively outlying areas than any kind of a standalone would be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think that, you know, people, you certainly have relocation buyers that we see that are coming from California or other places that, that are used to master plans. But then when there aren't a ton of master plans in a market, uh, it definitely stands out in the mind of the consumer. And, you know, I think we see probably about a 10% pricing premium over, you know, kind of your typical builder subdivision, even if it's just right outside of daybreak. Um, because people see the value in, you know, the careful design, the architecture, the amenities, and kind of the culture that we've tried to create here. Does Daybreak, given its size and scope, have a bigger advantage in a Salt Lake City where there's just, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, just nothing like it than maybe a mastermind elsewhere might have? I mean, I mean, there's probably something to that for sure. I mean, we do have, you know, a lot of builders here that are doing um you know, lots of different kind of small subdivisions in different places. We've got, you know, just to the south of us, larger land holdings where uh, developers are starting new master plans. So we've definitely had our, our share of competition. Um, and, and certainly uh, we're not competing with them on price. I mean, when we, when we run the numbers in the market and compare ourselves to all of the other large communities, uh, we do have the highest sales volume, but we also sell at the highest price per square foot uh, as, of any community in, in the market. So um, we certainly don't compete on price. And that's an area where if someone really wanted to, uh, they could really you know, give us a run for our money. But again, I, th I think it goes back to the, the public's you know, education and awareness of the value of a master plan and their willingness to pay for it, to pay the premium for it, really. Has there been any buyer segments, any buyer types that have been in kind of the star of the show this last year or so? And, you know, it, it's tough. Again, it's tough to put a finger on that. It's really been, you know, across the board. Um, you know, I think what we've seen is we've seen uh, some success that we didn't necessarily uh, anticipate we'd have right out of the gate with, you know, really small lot single family products because, you know, basically in our market, and I, I would assume in most markets across the country, the townhome or the condo is basically the new first-time buyer product. And so what we've done, you know, it, it's often referred to as kind of the missing middle, so to speak, but we've found some success with, you know, three-story single-family homes on, you know, smaller lots that are kind of competing almost with townhomes on price, but then gives the buyer that you know, detached single family home, uh, you know, experience. Yeah. But you're doing the, even flats now, aren't you for sale? My colleague, Kristen Matthews has, has been out there and I'm be honest with you surprised how dense you're getting out there. 
Yeah, well, we have, I mean, the, the, the whole concept behind our master plan is really trying to balance the jobs to housing ratio. So what we're doing is we're building, you know, denser, we have a town center area that's next to a freeway and has light rail that comes right into it. We have two light rail stations. And in that area, we're creating kind of what I believe it's John Burns who coined the term Serban. Uh, we're, Serban. we're creating a kind of a Serban uh, village within our community and we're building those uh, stack flats in there. Uh, they just barely got started with sales here a couple of weeks ago. And so, yeah, we're, we're finding that, you know, people still like cities. People still like uh, being able to walk to restaurants and walk to a train. And, and sometimes they want to just leave the car in the garage and, and go somewhere near nearby. And, and that sort of kind of, you know, safe urban lifestyle uh, has been pretty popular here in Daybreak. Has Daybreak got a big dose of that COVID-inspired or COVID-impacted out-migration kind of demand? I, I think we have. I mean, I think, I mean, it's so interesting how, you know, some of, some of us worked from home for a long time and then all of a sudden, you know, one day, you know, it was like a switch and half the world was working from home and we all learned that we could do it. And, you know, yeah. what's great about Utah is, you know, low cost of living, great economy, uh, great access to the outdoors. You know, I live in Daybreak myself and I can jump in my car and be um, on the ski slope in, you know, a half hour to 40 minutes. Um, I can I can be in the mountains with my mountain bike um, in about the same amount of time. Or if I live in Daybreak, you know, I can, I can carry my own kayak or my stand-up paddleboard down to the lake that's 10 minutes away um, on a lunch break. And so, you know, those sorts of things um, are really appealing to people. And, and so we've absolutely seen, you know, particularly from California, a little bit from the Midwest, but we've had some months this year where, you know, 17 or 18% of our sales for a given month have been from out-of-state buyers. Wow. And paddleboarding on the lunch break. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's fun. You should I'm try it sometime. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where I would go paddleboarding. Um, have you had sort of a, a star also in the terms of marketing and outreach? What has worked better lately than something else? I think what we've I, I think what we've tried to do on the on the digital marketing side is, you know, we've we've really tried to study the numbers um, and really crunch the numbers on our performance. I mean, that's that's the great thing about digital marketing is you can really see what's working and what isn't. I mean, we're we're actually big proponents of a, of a balanced marketing approach. We, we do a fair amount of traditional marketing, but, um, you know, certainly Facebook has been, um, you know, one of the big stars for us and Zillow because, you know, I don't know if you've seen any of those commercials or, or the fake Saturday Night Live skits, but there are people that, you know, when they're bored, they're, they're spending time on Zillow, just dreaming about what they might go buy and, and what they might do. And so, you know, Zillow's been, you know, a real star for us because I think a lot of people have been sitting home, you know, bored and, and sort of ruminating and what they don't like about their current house and, and looking at Zillow and saying, ah, that would be great. Let's go look at that. Um, so we, we've seen a lot of success there. I don't think I have seen the Zillows. If it's not if it's not sports or foreign mysteries on Netflix, I don't think I would I would see those. Well, there's, there is an off season, Dean. So I, you, you can you can check it out when your favorite sport is in its off season. <laughs> I like them all, um, except for <laughs> soccer. I hate soccer. 
<laughs> how do you how have you maintained your master plan, you know, your cohesion, your lifestyle and master plans interactions are so critical, community interactions. How have you maintained that during this COVID time? You know, it's it's definitely been challenging and it definitely has not been the same, you know, when you can't get, you know, 3,000 people on the Village Green for, for a concert series on a Friday or a Saturday night, which is what we're used to doing. Um, you know, so, you know, we've done a lot of the, uh, our, we have a great organization called Live Daybreak that's our nonprofit and uh, they're funded through a through a, a transfer fee or a community enhancement fee. And what they do is they plan a lot of events. They run a lot of the club, you know, book clubs and um, paddleboard clubs and bike clubs. And I mean, you name it. And, and they do a number of really great events. And so they did a lot of things over Zoom um, that they've done. You know, we've tried to do things uh, responsibly in, in kind of smaller chunks rather than the big events. And, and it's worked out OK. Um, I can't say it's been perfect, but I think, you know, the use of, of digital tools and the use of, um, you know, video and some of those things has has helped us try to um, kind of keep it together. But but you're absolutely right. I mean, the hallmark of a ma- of a good master plan community is the ability for people to to get together and, and interact. And, and that's been tough for sure. But because in a master plan, you're more likely, I think, to know your neighbors. There's a certain cohesion there. Do you think master plans have a little bit of a safety advantage? They just feel a little safer? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And and in our community, we follow a, a traditional neighborhood design. And so almost every home has a porch. And the porch has become sort of the star of COVID, right? It's the place now where it's safe to you know, sit and chat with your neighbors, whether they come over or whether you just see them as they walk by. Um, and, and even just, you know, out on the walking trails around the lake in the parks, you know, because they're, they're near to your home, you know, closer than you would be in a, in a regular subdivision. And so there's definitely been opportunities for interaction and, and people have even discovered, you know, the use of their front porch, like I said, as a, as a place where that can happen. And so, um, yeah, I, I think master plans are are resilient in terms of the way that they're designed. They're designed for, um, I, I've just been surprised at how well people have been able to interact, you know, definitely in small groups and not big groups, but um, been able to interact nonetheless. It's been great. You said a minute ago that your master plan, like to like against the standalone, might have a sort of a 10% price premium, roughly. Is that more? now with COVID than it was pre-COVID? I haven't really analyzed that, but I, my guess would be yes. Um, Because, you know, again, if you're sitting home a whole bunch and you're looking for something to do that's right outside the door, you know, that you can walk around the corner to a park or or to a local restaurant to grab a bite to eat or, or something like that. Um, it's much easier to do that in a master plan than it is someplace else. Um, and, and there is that sort of notion of familiarity with your neighbors in terms of, you know, who's around you and, and that sort of a thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, our, our pricing has been, I was just looking at our numbers from February sales um, and we track, you know, the price per foot of what we're selling. And we hit for the first time ever, uh, the average of all of our sales in February was 250 bucks a foot is what we were selling for, which for our market 
is pretty high. Our previous average, our, our market average, just to give you the data point, is about 200 bucks a foot. Uh, mm -hmm. So 250 is high even for us. And so we're starting to see, um, you know, certainly that a, a desire to be in a place like this. It, the reason I asked that, by the way, is because our top 50 best-selling master plan list, every single master plan pretty much was up year over year from 2019. And not just up, but like you guys, up incredibly strongly. So it does make sense that there is something just people feel, again, maybe a little safer. Maybe there's a, a more of a consistent supply, but master plans seem to have increased their advantage here lately. Well, and it's it's the same thing we saw back in the previous recession, right? So, you know, in 08 and 09, you know, we definitely saw a drop in our sales back then in that market, which was very different. But um, we did not see a huge dip in prices. And we definitely were able to, if not hold our own, you know, outsell our regular subdivision competitors because there was that feeling of safety of of long-term value that is created in a master plan when you design it in, in, a, in, in a certain way. And I think I can anticipate this answer as well from what you said just a minute ago, but things so far in 21 have been going swimmingly, it sounds like. Yeah, they've been great. I mean, as, as, as long as we have inventory, uh, you know, we've been selling January actually surprised us. We sold 85 homes in January and we didn't have quite that many in February. I think we were in the low 50s, but um, you know, where we have lot inventory available, uh, we've seen great sales success. The demand certainly hasn't dropped off. The challenge is really just having enough lots of, of each type in each segment to be able to meet the demand. Yeah. We're hearing that literally yep. from everyone everywhere is, uh, how about in terms of, let's wrap up with this. What has been just that really something special about daybreak that lets you stand out from the crowd? Boy, um, I think it's really a strong commitment to authentic design. So, and people notice that, you know, when you, when you drive down a street, a tree lined street and the architecture, you know, has that authentic feel of the homes that, you know, look like they could be a hundred years old out of a Norman Rockwell painting. People know the difference between that and when, you know, someone is, you know, for all intents and purposes, kind of just putting lipstick on something. And so yeah. I think that, you know, that authenticity in design, I think comes through in, you know, the experience of living here and the way, the way that people interact and, um, you know, the types of activities that happen here. And so there's been, it, it, it attracts, I think, a certain type of person that's looking for, you know, something that's that's real, um, both in terms of what they buy and in terms of, you know, kind of the, the relationships that they have with their neighbors. So it's it's really, um, you know, master plans are really a unique thing in their ability to to do that. But then when you, you know, add that layer of, um, you know, not just looking like the homes everywhere else, uh, but, but having that authentic design, I think that's what people really um, respond to. And they have responded, like I said, over a thousand last year and, and heading for another great year in 21. Thank you, Cameron, for coming on and joining us. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thank you. Good to be here. Appreciate you having me.
Caitlin Lai Valenti is next. She is the Senior Director of Sales and Marketing for Brookfield Residential in Southern California, where she manages sales and marketing, strategy, modeling, customer experience, and technology initiatives. Though she's based in Southern California, Caitlin has a tremendous grasp of all things Brookfield. And in a minute, you'll hear her speak eloquently and knowledgeably about all four of the Brookfield master plans from across the country that made our list. Now we have Caitlin Live Valenti. She's a senior director of sales and marketing from Brookfield Residential. Caitlin, how is everything with you? Awesome. It's been an awesome year so far, so we're super excited. And last year, too. And last year, too. <laughs> so Caitlin and I are going to chat about the four, count them, four master plans that Brookfield either developed or co-developed that appeared on our top 50 best-selling master plan list for 2020. They are, real briefly, their Ontario Ranch at number five Audie, and Audie Murphy Ranch at number 42. Both of those are in Southern California's Inland Empire, the 909, shout out. Eastmark, number 15 on our list, which is in the Phoenix area, and then Easton Park, number 33 on the list in the Texas capital in Austin. Caitlin, that's pretty darn impressive. Was this mainly your doing, I'm assuming? It would be Adrian Foley's doing. <laughs> Come on, take the credit. At least do, do like a humble brag and say, well, it wasn't completely me. I had a little help. Come on. We have a pretty amazing team here, so we're... <laughs> Happy to be here. Let's start with the big picture then. What has been your biggest and best, most important sales driver for your master plans in 2020 and on to this year? You know, I'd have to say that the three key drivers to why our master plan communities are thriving from Southern California to Phoenix to Austin is really kind of amenities and lifestyle location and just that product segmentation with a strong value proposition. I mean, amenities is really, and lifestyle are front and center at at each of our master plan communities. We really deliver high on lifestyle with that desirable resort style amenities and that prime resident programming for the community to create that sense of connection. I mean, that community engagement is, is key as it really appeals to our families all the way to our millennial buyers alike. And in terms of location, I mean, we're really in outstanding prime locations with proximity to employment centers, access to retail, and those core transportation corridors, which just gives uh, our homeowners a better quality of life. And just the, in terms of the segmentation, you know, the communities offer such a range of home sizes, types, and price points from a variety of builders. And so that really gives our home shoppers, uh, they're really seeing that overall value. And so that's, well, you'll see that across all of our master plans, lots of different uh, synergy that exist within the community. So you're getting a lot of different folks buying there. Has any one segment kind of stood out and been a kind of a champion this past year or so? You know, it's it's been uh, in Ontario, you know, it's it's been wonderful to see all of the first time buyers and those who have been living at home uh, coming out and purchasing their first home. Over 50 percent of our home buyers there are purchasing their homes for the first time and about 44 percent of our home buyers there are under the age of 40. So it's wow, pretty okay. fantastic to see. Yeah. yeah. Size and scope. A lot of your master plans, they're pretty big. Ontario Ranch uh, is ginormous, I know. I think Eastern Park is pretty big too. Has that, do you think that gives you an edge? 
It does. You know, one of the nice things about uh, New Haven is that you really, it's a very unique uh, master plan community and we're able to have uh, reciprocal amenity centers there. And so that really makes it a, it gives the homeowners there the really the ability to have highly amenitized community brimming with you know, recreation, parks, gathering spaces. Um, the residents there have access to over 15 acres of private resort style amenities, a swimming pool, splash zones, um, you have a super playgrounds. And so we're able to theme each individual amenity center with a different concept. So you have that um, outdoorsy, that sports uh, theme where you have super playgrounds, fitness centers and sports courts. Then if you wanna relax, you can go over to uh, where we've got social spaces and fire pits or picnic gardens. And so it really gives a nice robust space um, it's also a gigabit community with high-speed internet access, and so we've been able to to partner with the city there and introduce some really neat concepts. Uh, we'll be rolling out clever scooters. We've got the Jita following robots that families can adopt, really to kind of promote that more active lifestyle. And then we also have AnyHub smart nodes that will be coming to the local retail center there. So really some fun programming for the residents there. So clever scooters and robots. I've seen Terminator. Should people be worried? <laughs> you'll see scary, they, they look a little bit um, like Pokemon. So you'll see them uh, following <laughs> residents to the neighborhood. That can get a little spooky, I think. Maybe, but I'm sure it's very cool. Did your did your master plans get a good chunk of that? COVID augmented demand from those people who were, you know, fleeing higher density product or higher density, density locations to you? Did you? Was that a big driver as well? You know, we did, we did see that in Southwest Riverside, we were really seeing an influx of buyers coming from Los Angeles and Orange County, um, as they now have the ability to work remotely, which opened up their geographic search options. I mean, home shoppers are we're really attracted to that value proposition because now you're able to purchase a home at a lower price point for a brand new larger home on a larger home site. Um, in our Phoenix marketplace at Eastmark, uh, we're also seeing an influx of home buyers from out of state. So really as a, and also large um, families looking to, uh, looking at uh, moving up to nicer homes, looking for a little more space or for that connected community. So some of them moved a little bit earlier than they had originally planned to. So mm. I think that uh, pandemic really kind of helped to change, shift some of those priorities. You know, you're not the first person to say that on this. So I've been asking kind of a follow-up for that, that this sort of time shift in terms of that buying decision. Do you think there's any, I don't know, threats, not as too strong a word, but do you think some of this demand is maybe stolen from next year or the year after because of that time shift? You know what, I think with the interest rate, we've really seen an in like a lot of the buyers that demand has really increased because of the interest rates. Um, and almost you have this like uh, FOMO, um, you know, mentality because there's this fear of missing out as you're seeing interest rates are so low. You have um, price appreciation. So everyone's afraid of getting priced out of the market. Um, and then also that pandemic in terms of the stay at home orders and everyone looking for their own space to be able to really kind of spread out, have their own space to be able to quarantine at home. Did you have any key marketing tactic or sales tactic or outreach that you thought really was very effective this past year or so? 
Yeah, you know, at the start of the pandemic, we really shifted um, our marketing uh, dollars away from print ads and focused instead on increasing our digital footprint to really look to meet our customers where they are. I mean, we really looked at targeted banner ads, virtual tours, walkthrough videos, Matterport tours. Um, in terms of our outreach e-blast, we really tried to focus on messaging that really resonated with today's home shoppers. Um, so it's really that need around flexible space to support, you know, work from home, distance learning. Uh, families were now using their home for, you know, entertainment, for fitness needs. Um, new construction and the opportunity to personalize has also been strong messages that have really resonated with home shoppers. And then we also saw a lot of strong engagement on social media. I mean, many found themselves with a little more time to engage on social media. And many were also looking for ways to kind of find that connection with others. So that was great to see. Any, any sense of which platform on social media is most effective? Is it Facebook? Is it Instagram? Are you doing TikTok 15 second videos, getting out there, getting the kids? You know, we do a lot of Facebook and Instagram, and we've seen a lot of engagement there. A lot of the families are also um, resharing our post, and so it's been really nice to see that. Um, and then also we've been trying to find ways uh, in partnering with our the association to be able to stay connected with those residents and find ways to have them um, tag us as well, whether it's through yeah. like porch photos or just different ways to stay connected. I'm just saying, think about doing dance moves on TikTok. I think that would be huge. <laughs> just think and consider. That's all I ask. How have you maintained your lifestyle here during COVID? Has that, you know, people are, there's less interaction. There's all the sheltering in place. Has that been an issue at any of your master plans? And how have you reacted to that? You know, we have really had to kind of reshift the way we thought about um, events, right? Uh, we want to stay connected. We still want to find ways to outreach to the residents to keep that engagement strong. Um, so we really partnered with our on-site lifestyle coordinators and really established social committees that were led by residents to nurture those community events to stay safe and creative with homeowner events. I mean, we think about Eastmark with approximately 16,000 families that live in the neighborhood. Um, eventually, the main pool and recreation centers were able to open at a reduced number, um, but it required residents to reserve appointments online. Um, they also tried to do, um, you know, in terms of like Easter events. So instead of having um, an Easter event where everyone came to the clubhouses, they posted a route map and had a real-time schedule where residents could track where the Easter bunny was at and they could come out and wave at them. Um, they also did uh, spaced outdoor fitness classes, which have also been really popular. And then doing more smaller intimate events on online forums as well. So that's been great, but we've just kind of re-envisioned those spaces. And so, you know, paint and sip night. So more virtual um, inspirational pieces where you can connect with neighbors and create masterpieces. Um, so a lot of different ways of uh, keeping everyone connected. I was worried when you brought up Easter eggs, I thought you said, you're going to say something like, we spaced the Easter eggs out about a quarter mile into the desert and let the kids run around and find them. So that would have been a, have been a bad solution. So now so we're using everyone's lawn. We're doing, um, you can sign up to get egged and they actually go out, okay. the vendor will go out and hide Easter eggs on everyone's individual lawn, as opposed to doing it on one shared, at the shared community. 
You might want to rethink the name of that, getting your house egged. I don't know. <laughs> that, could be, that could be misconstrued. Do you think that master plans are viewed as safer since COVID? You know, you do have the, the greater spaces. You do, I don't know, you probably, there's more connection with the folks around you. Do you think that's been an advantage? I do. You know, uh, HOA payments are funneled back into the community to really contribute towards community engagement, safety and security, you have maintenance and lighting, and then it also services the administration and all of the management. So all of those factors really help to contribute to a safer community. And there's so much value in building a community of neighbors who are both engaged and who are also who also get to know one another so they look out for each other. So I think that community programming from an experienced management company not only gives residents that sense of uh, connectivity, but it also provides confidence that their community is being maintained. Has that confidence then in turn led to maybe some greater premiums in price or pace for a master plan versus your standalone non-master plans like home? Do you think it's a bigger pop, in other words, for, for master plans? I'd absolutely like to think so. I mean, premiums for new homes, uh, for homes in master plan communities over standalone communities, I think those have grown as buyers are now more attracted to new homes in a community that also offers open spaces and that low maintenance lifestyle. I mean, if we think about um, amenities, they've become increasingly more important in consideration when you're purchasing a home. Because as you're leaving these like rich urban centers with amenities, having trails, lakes, outdoor play at your doorstep, it almost becomes an extension of your home. So I think that's very important. That's a good point. So you're, yeah, especially if you are one of those out-migration buyers leaving instead of a mature environment with those, I don't know, urban amenities, mm-hmm. you're being replaced by these great master plan amenities. And you're not going to get that in a standalone suburban environment, are you? And you get all of that with that low maintenance lifestyle in the community. And so it just, I think it really just brings it all together. How's 21 been for you so far? I think from what you said at the very top, pretty good. It's really been unbelievable. I mean, our communities are growing faster than ever. We've seen sales increases, you know, 13% year over year. And between our four master plan communities, we've seen price appreciation somewhere between 17 to 20% year over year. Um, Like I was saying, you know, we have to savor this moment because we have not been in a position where we've achieved 90% of our backlog for 2021 so early in the year. Gosh. So, yeah, that's amazing. Crazy, right? that, that it really is. It, it, 21 it really does seem, uh, if anything, it's it's the, that it's getting better. Because remember, 20 had those, depending on the market, those couple of months where sales were gutted. And right. 21, this, the conditions are still just as strong and knock on wood, but we don't see those those couple of brutal months in the middle of it. And we can barely keep homes in supply. I mean, we've really moved to metering our phase releases by releasing a handful of homes at a time because we're, we're really not in a position to start any additional homes. So accelerating, you know, those phase releases don't make sense. Um, you know, at our community in Ontario Ranch, we've been seeing 50 to 60 loan applications come through a week. So as soon as homes are available, they're gone again. So that's uh, stepped up that level of qualified buyers. But you've got that built-in price appreciation as price continues to rise. We're also seeing fewer cancellations. Wow. Let's end with something that's unique. Maybe one or two of your master plans. Something that really sets them apart and makes them special. Well, 
If you're ever in Mesa, Arizona, you've got to stop and see Eastmark, you know, at 3,600 acres. I mean, Eastmark really continues to thoughtfully develop with the needs of the marketplace. I mean, I think our patience has enabled us to take advantage of the right opportunities when they presented themselves. Um, the addition of Apple's Global Operations Center, which anchors that community's technology enterprise district. It's got a two-acre organic commercial farm that feeds local residents and restaurants and that cool 1940s Valentine's Diner. It's really a chef-run farm-to-table, and it's located at the center of the center of the community. So it's more than just like cool features. There are additions and amenities that residents really prize and adds value to the entire surrounding community. The Valentine's Diner has that been on uh, driver? What is it? Diners, drivers, and dives yet? It's got, not, we've got to send in a, um, a vote yes. to get it on there. <laughs> <laughs> I have like 80 in my DVRQ, so eventually I'll, I'll see it if, it if it has been on. But if it, it should, if it hasn't, it should. Let's get that. Let's make that happen. I'll call, I'll call Guy. That's I, right. I don't really know him. I'll call him for you. <laughs> awesome. Well, Caitlin, I appreciate all your insights and coming on the show. Dean, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Last up for this episode, we have Peter Dennehy. He is the Vice President of Customer and Market Research at Newland Communities, one of the largest real estate developers in the world. Peter has a probably unique background of working for all of the biggest and best firms in the real estate consulting business. He is now on the developer side of that with one of the best firms in that business where he keeps tabs on consumer preferences and trends and helps make Newland Master Plans so successful. Hey, Peter. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Dean? <laughs> this is Peter Danahy, who I've known for a very, very long time. He is the Vice President of Market and Consumer Research at Newland Communities. So he has a lot of ground to cover because Newland Communities has five, count them, five master plans in our list of the top 50 best-selling master plans from 2020. So we have Estrella in the Phoenix area. We have Ellison in Houston. We have Bexley in the wonderful town of Land O'Lakes, Florida, not Minnesota which is just north of Tampa. We have Nexton outside of Charleston, South Carolina, and we have Tahale in T Tacoma, Washington area. Do I have that right, Peter? That's correct. Cool. So you have a lot to choose from here when you're going through how successful your master plans and why they've been successful. So just feel free to pick and choose, generalize to your heart's content from one of the many that have done so well. So let's start with the big kind of fundamental question. What, generally speaking, what's been your biggest kind of sales driver in 2020 that propelled all those sales in those five master plans? You know, I'm going to give a, an answer that we actually learned from doing a uh, survey of our shoppers and buyers during the pandemic year. And what we found is that community matters more than ever. Um, among our buyers uh, in 2020 that purchased a home during the kind of pandemic period, um, they said that the number one uh, motivation was a desire for being in a planned community with amenities. Um, they were looking for a wide array of new construction options, including those that had you know, either multi, more space or multifunctional spaces, and they wanted a better sense of community. And those were all things that, they, that were at the top of the list in terms of motivators to buy specifically during 2020. And, you know, and I'd also just say that, you know, master plans in general, um, 
you know, they, they typically, you know, we have low interest rates at this time. That's good for all of our projects. Um, but I would say that the ones that made your list and that were top sellers for us tended to have very good segmentation with lots of product offerings, including homes that were targeted to kind of that first time buyer or millennial buyer, um, which we saw, you know, a big increase in activity from this year. That kind of uh, sort of presupposes us. So I think I know the answer now, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Has there been a buyer segment that performed better in 2020? And I know you have a lot of age qualified in years too, but but was it millennials that were the the stars of your demand as a more so than increased demand from, from the AQ sector or anywhere else? Yeah. I would say if we had to pick a buyer group that was the star, it was the it was that millennial um, first time or first move up buyer. Um, buyers were you know, they were more likely to be renters, uh, you know, relatively high incomes. Um, I wouldn't say you know we don't have true true entry level housing or a lot of a lot of attached at all of our projects, but we generally had things that were at least you know um, uh, affordable to a young family or a young couple that was planning to start a family. Um, often renters, um, and they were the stars. We did see, you know, active adult buyers were there during the year. They did back off when the pandemic kind of took on. Um, and we see, we saw them back away from projects maybe for a couple, month or two. Um, but even the active adult buyers um, started to really come back um, by early summer. Um, and for them, it was probably kind of a, hey, we've been planning a move for a long time. And it's, and now that we've been released from our home, it's time to get get the heck out of here. So, um, yeah. Did you get the sense you got any of those folks that were sort of near retirement and just pulled the trigger a little earlier? Maybe they even got a cash out from their employer. Does that any kind of pop from that? Yes. About a third of our buyers this year said that they moved their plans up um, because of the pandemic. And I think that it was both the, you know, the renters living in a home that might have been planning to make a purchase and, and thought this was a good time because of interest rates and their personal situation. But yes, also in some cases, it was those people that just, um, you know, were finally kind of pulled the plug. I think particularly, you know, like in people coming out of the Northeast or retiring to places like Austin from California and places like that. We saw a lot of that type of buyer this year. Did you get any obvious, again, I'm assuming the answer is probably yes, but tease it out for me, that kind of COVID augmentation, that kind of moving away from the outlines, I'm sorry, from inner, you know, more urban areas or more dense product into the a more outlined area or lower density product? Yeah, I mean, um, I would say we actually asked people who moved to our communities and purchased this year um, what, what kind of environment they'd come out of. And true urban, like city or very dense urban, was actually a pretty small factor. Um, it was like 10 or 11%. Most of our buyers actually came from a more suburban location. Um, mm. They were already living in something like one of our communities, either a planned community or a suburb, probably in an apartment or an older home. And so, you know, they were kind of used, they wanted that suburban lifestyle. Um, they were probably already somewhat used to it. Um, you know, be, living in a place that was more residential, that had services and recreation nearby. Um, and they were, but they were motivated to kind of go to a planned community that kind of had new options um, with all of those features built in. So I would say less urban. Yes, yeah, so I would say 
we did not prove the urban um, theory. That's interesting because you are Houston, Phoenix. I mean, those are places with some high density urban environments and, and you are not seeing that as much. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think people came out of rental. So if you know, okay. if you consider yeah. a rental, you know, project to be more dense than a single family home. Yeah. Yes. Probably people did. I don't think a lot of people came out of a high rise in downtown Houston straight to our project. Okay. And, and to me, that feels like I've been asked a lot lately about this, this idea of sort of stolen demand, stolen from the future. You know, to me, that, that person who, because of work from home, could suddenly go where they wanted to go and live where they wanted to live. That to me is not stolen demand. That's real demand that could have been there years ago. But you mentioned that a lot of your folks, a third, I think you said, were kind of pushed up their plans. Do you think there is a sense of a little bit of stolen demand here in 2020 and, and even continuing now? No, I think because conditions for housing were so strong beforehand. I mean, um, all the you know all those factors that are still in play. The you know the growth of the millennial population. I mean, that's kind of been a trend we've seen over the last two years. Um, you know, we stopped. Boomers were used to be dominant in our projects until about three years ago, and then millennials are more and more so. So you know, low interest rates, good time to buy. You know, young families that are just kind of coming into that age. I will say at some of our projects, particularly in the Pacific Northwest, um, we did see a lot of that work from home tech worker just because, you know, they're in the greater Seattle and greater Portland areas um, and they can live further away. So we did see some of that. Yeah, I think it's certain of our communities that work from home trend um, has really kind of um, driven sales. So particularly for Tahale, which is in that Seattle Tacoma area. Um, you know, we already had a lot of people there that were working from home um, in the greater region um, or retiring, you know, kind of pre-retiring to a place where they were eventually going to retire. Um, and that trend seemed to have exacerbated during this year. Okay. Was there any marketing tactic, any kind of outreach that seemed particularly more effective than others? Well, um, I mean, home shopping and the techniques that we use completely shifted during the pandemic, and probably a lot of that is here to stay. Um, they want home buyers want to shop on their time and shop how they want to shop, and so you know we quickly pivoted to offer all kinds of appointment, one-on-one, -on -one and virtual tours of all sites, um, so that they could see exactly what they wanted to see when they saw it. So. We found that visual tools were extremely important this year. Um, they wanted to see them, you know, they wanted not just to see the home, but they wanted to see the community, the amenities. Um, and those were a big success. Um, and also, you know, providing a personal touch, whether that was a chat, you know, kind of a chat conversation online or the ability to schedule an appointment or a visit when you were ready to have that personal interaction. So, um, you know, we did an appointment scheduler online that we didn't have before that gave you a variety of options there. Um, and, you know, so we really kind of met people where they wanted to be. Um, and I think a lot of those sales tools will continue past this year. It's funny you say that because you are, you have like a virtual hub, I think, on your website for a lot of your master plans, I've noticed. So you guys are, have really adopted that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Uh, as everyone has, I guess, I suppose, but, but you guys were, were kind of cutting edge there. Yeah. And I think, you know, we did some very unique things. I mean, at next in the next in project, I think you may have featured it um, in some of your, your stuff this year, you know, they, they really pioneered for us the use of drone tours and, you know, they did, you know, like a weekend event. I think they targeted it through Facebook. 
um, you know, people signed up and it was really essentially like a, a, a drone tour of the models, um, a drone tour of the active adult community, um, a builder, fo- uh, I'm sorry, a realtor focused event that was also a drone tour. Um, you know, we've de- we did meetings with our investors by, by drone last summer. So, you know, that's something we wouldn't have done, I think, without this year. And it was very successful in getting interest and, you know, showing the, showing the communities to people during that time. But I think the personal touch part that is shown in your data is important because people want both, don't they? They want to be visual and virtual, but they still want to have when they want it, they want to have that personalization. And so it's dangerous to go hundred percent virtual. Yeah. We, we found that, no, you're absolutely right. Um, We found that when people were ready to buy buyers in particular, people who were shopping were very content to use the online tools, you know, um, but when somebody was ready to make a purchase, it was the personal um, interaction tools that they turned to. They wanted to make an appointment. They wanted to come see the, the model, you know, a one-on-one tour of the home that they were going to purchase. They wanted, you know, information on uh, back from the builder sales agent or us on the community. Um, and if we had any complaints about sales process, it was usually something that had to do with the personal interaction. Um, you know, the, the uh, you know, I, I made an appointment and somebody didn't show up or I didn't get, a, you know, I didn't get an answer back on my my design options for, you know, for five days or something like that. Yeah. So. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I think it, it really has to be a blend. People are comfortable with online shopping. They were we found that, you know, the majority of our shoppers were happy to, to look online until they were ready to go. Okay. Has it been a problem maintaining the lifestyle there in this, the restrictions to COVID, with the shelter in place? Has it been, how have you done that at your master plans? Yeah. I mean, we did, um, I think, I think you're asking a couple of different things. Obviously we allowed built, you know, we, we, we went to, we, we virtually closed all of our sales, you know, our info centers where we had one overnight. And so we had to kind of pivot to that virtual thing and by appointment, of course, the builders had to do that as well. Um, I think, um, you know, we, you know, most of our communities have a lifestyle director. We have outdoor spaces. So as a master plan community developer, we were still able to do events and kind of foster that master plan lifestyle. Um, but do it, you know, with, with kind of virtual by, by doing virtual events, whether that was a zoom happy hour or, you know, organizing the parade for the teachers or that kind you know, those kinds of things. So we were able to kind of you know, the builders were able to, to do the live thing primarily by appointment um, when, you know, local jurisdictions allowed it. We as a master, you know, kind of selling the community, selling the, the lifestyle, were able to, to also use some of those virtual tools um, uh, to, to do um, events uh, during that time. And of course, you know, the good news is we've kind of gone back to being open again. Every yeah. Year. So. Do you see master plans gaining a little bit more of a bump, a premium versus standalones because of what's happened in COVID and how is it more, a little bit more of a cohesive environment there? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's always, that's like a $64 million question. Um, I, you know, I, what I, what our teams would say is that, you know, there's um, uh, master plan communities in good markets and bad typically do command a premium. Um, you know, they're, they're seen as safe places to buy and they offer a lot of, you know, home choices and, and amenities that people find desirable. Um, and, you know, we found this year that we, you know, we, there was incredible demand for our lots. 
um, and we were able to raise home and lot prices. Um, so I think, you know, communities, you know, and master plans are important. Um, COVID heightened that for both residents and shoppers. Um, master plans are incredibly desirable communities right now. And so it's really hard, you know, it's, it's easy to find builders and, and home buyers and shoppers that want to be in them. So I, you know, I think that's a long way of saying, I think the premium increased um, that they always command. Um, and then, you know, the other, the other interesting thing is that our, you know, our projects all sold very well. Once we went back to selling, we exceeded our business plan for 2020 by almost 45%. So we had very strong sales and absorptions. And of course, you know, that, you know, that's, 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 um, commands a premium, that's, that's, uh, you know, a premium in the market. And um, our lot prices went up, our home, you know, home prices went up, building costs also went up just to a degree. So partly that was offset. But, you know, all of our projects, uh, inclu including the five that made your list, increased their market share in their regions. And, you know, we saw that after the Great Recession as well, that, um, you know, master plan communities um, increase market share, um, you know, in a more uncertain market. Um, and we saw that again in 2020. Especially here, though, this particular to this event, this pandemic, master plans just do. They just seem safer. They just seem a little more controlled, if that's the right word. And that, that I think that gave people a little more confidence to, to choose that environment, I think. Yeah, I think so. How, how has 21 been so far? So far, more of the same? Uh, you know, uh, we're off to a really great start. That's easy to answer right now. Um, you know, after a month or two, we've we're almost at 25% of our annual sales goals. We had an extremely wow. strong start of the year um, in the first seven or eight weeks of the year. But, you know, I, you know, I would just say, you know, so we, I, I would say that the conditions for housing are great. Uh, we are, you know, keeping a close eye on builder inventory um, and our own pace of lot deliveries to ensure that, you know, builders can continue building and selling homes throughout the whole year. Uh, we're paying attention to resale markets and affordability um, you know, we want to make sure that we keep a very broad product offering and product segmentation in the master plans. Um, you know, we've seen a lot, a strong demand from those first-time buyers and those younger buyers in particular. And we want to make sure that we have um, as good options for them. And then, um, you know, we're keeping, as I said, we're keeping an eye kind of on the resale market as well. Um, if you know, if if the time to build. We, we, we were, we benefited from, you know, resale inventory going down and, you know, not, there not being a lot of choices in the resale market, um, this year, but if that switches and, you know, it becomes easier to buy a resale home, that can be a competitive disadvantage. So we're keeping an eye on inventory and, and, um. All of those things. Buyers want to buy a home now. <laughs> they don't want to wait yeah. six months to have it be built. But with resale inventory just brutally low, you know, this the certainty, even if it's a little bit longer time horizon of new, is pretty attractive. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, 2020 turned out to be so surprisingly good. Um, you know, new homes had an advantage because they were, you know, they were the safe, clean environment. Yeah. They offered more space and the functionality. Um, and, you know, builders had them to sell. Now, feel free to answer this last question however you want. You can be real specific or you can be real general, but are there some really just items or factors in your master plans that have set them apart 
from the background noise. I know Nexton, I think, is is kind of just really wired and really the connectivity and the and the and the technology there is is state of the art. Are there is that true? Is there are there other things and other the, your master plans that have really made them special? Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know, as I said, you know, what outdoor spaces seem to be most important at this time to our buyers. They value the opportunity to be outdoors. Uh, the three top amenities for shoppers and buyers were parks and open spaces, walking trails, and bike paths. So, um, you know, I, I think what was unique about our projects, all of them, you know, offer that planned community setting with amenities. They all offer, as I said, a segmented array of new construction options. And they offer um, that better sense of community and particularly the opportunities to be active outdoors. Um, you know, some of our projects that are on your list, like Tahale, are really offer the really unique location in the, in the Pacific Northwest with, you know, dramatic views of Mount Rainier. And, you know, that's just no other master plan community has, you know, a, a mountain like that that's kind of looming over the community and, and has a, beautiful views and miles of, you know, open space and trails. I've um, seen that, are, that view from the, the clubhouse, Peter, right? And it looks photoshopped. It's really, yeah. it's unbelievable. That view of Mount Rainier I mean, from the clubhouse, I would say, it's amazing. Yeah. So like some of our communities just offer a really unique natural setting that just can't be replicated. Estrella, you know, um, it's once you arrive there, um, you know, you, it's really like a desert oasis surrounded by mountains. And, you know, that community also has miles of, you know, bike and walking trails um, with like a very natural setting. So, you know, I, I'd say it's, it's, you know, partly the kinds of things that every master plan community has, you know, new homes, amenities, um, the ability to do things outdoors. And then for certain of our communities, it's just really, you know, spectacular natural settings that um, are very unique in their markets. Yeah. And that's just uh, picking the right spots. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you, Peter. This has been very insightful as I expected it to be. I appreciate you coming on. I'm happy to do it. Thanks for having me.